So, um, welcome back to TLS. It's been a couple of months, or it's been three months actually, I suppose, until uh, we've started again over the, the summer break. But uh, we now have lime scones to look forward to for the uh, discussion, uh, which I'll get to reasonably quickly, I think. Uh, part one will be a little bit quicker than part two, I think. Um, so this one is about creation or evolution or both. What are the issues? Um, and as Maria's already pointed out, um, in my first sentence here, I point out that this topic stirs strong passions, uh, as people believe the whole of Christianity rests on this item. Now, I would probably take some issue with that, <laughs> but it's important that we understand why. Why do people? I'm going to look over my glasses at you, which is very kind of you know, <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah, I'll try and keep put, position them so that I can do that. Um, but we need to understand why people think that. You know, some people here might think that. You know, people who are listening on the podcast might think you have to believe one way, otherwise everything's undermined. Yeah. Um, now that brings me back to our very, very first TLS session when I spoke about the Tower of Bricks analogy and how often people's um, experience of God and, and church and life, it's almost like a Tower of Bricks where each layer of theological truth has got to be true and people kind of pile one truth on top of another and then their faith and their relationship with God and their you know their trust in Jesus rests on the top of this tower and for many people this issue of creation and evolution and all that goes with that is sort of right at the bottom of this tower and if you start poking at that then they're in danger of the whole thing crashing down however morning um, as we said right right at the beginning we have to be a bit wary of resting all our beliefs on on that particular truth or any particular truth and hopefully we're you know we're strong enough now to kind of think well actually you know we don't have to do that but we need to look at it because it's a genuine it's a big issue actually it's a genuine issue and for some people it's a major um, tower wobbler as, as David Matthew likes to call it so I mean my journey myself I started off I mean I I became a Christian when I was 17, having watched a lot of David Attenborough. Um, really enjoyed that, and you know, took that into my Christian experience, and and thought, well, you know, okay, that's just the way things are. And then I read a book by a creationist guy who happened to be a, an engineer as well, and thought, oh my goodness, um, gosh, you know, maybe maybe that's right, you know, and. Uh, and by the end of the book, I was again, I was only about probably 18 or so at the time, I thought, wow, I, I believe in creation. You know, I mean, I believed in creation before, but, you know, I, I changed my view. And then over time, you know, I sort of evolved <laughs> back <laughs> into a more evolutionary view. And then, um, probably early 2000s, I, I had some teaching, really strong, passionate teaching on creationism, um, by basically a young earth creationist coming up with all sorts of arguments and um, and reasoning and, and scientific viewpoints and I thought oh gosh you know um, wow yeah I can see the point um, I've evolved again since then so I'm gonna leave you hanging actually it's where I am but I, I've kind of gone backwards and forwards over over time um, so let's dive into it so what I'm gonna do in this first part is just look at broadly the two views 
uh, and just start to pick out some of the points about it and some of the challenges. So first of all, let's have a look at Genesis as science, question mark. Um, now a lot of Christians and some scientists uh, included there are, are really adamant that as well as presenting theological truth that uh, Genesis, Genesis 1 and, and the early chapters there, they present scientific truth and they basically say that this is completely incompatible with the theories of evolution that you know that are all around us uh, and if we accept evolution it undermines the bible and undermines the gospel and everything comes crashing down uh, now they quite correctly point out that theory the theory of evolution is a theory you know it's pretty difficult to prove stuff that happened you know long long time ago um, and but instead what they believe is that all of the the sort of currently living species were created at the same time more or less as they are now uh, but maybe they've diversified and they you know through natural selection because they don't deny natural selection happens you know selective breeding certain characteristics are more successful than others and they die out but what they say is that the that just improves things as a species it doesn't turn one species into another and they're just adapting uh, to their surroundings and we know that that happens you know you can see that in just a few generations and so they see the fossil record and this is where it'd be interesting if my friend Joel was here because he was thinking of bringing his fossil collection <laughs> um, but they they see the fossil record as evidence of a global flood and they point out that uh, things can only be fossilized if they're buried fairly rapidly rather than over a long period of time so it tends to be in flood conditions where a lot of stuff gets buried. Um, so they take the story of Noah uh, and say basically, you know, this fossil evidence that's all around is evidence of the, the truth of the Bible in that way. Some of them believe in a literal six-day creation period. Some people are a bit less literal. Um, one thing that's interesting is they, they look at DNA and they say... Um, if you imagine, you remember some of the, the ages in the book of Genesis at the very beginning, these people lived hundreds and hundreds of years, you know. Um, and what they say is that at the very beginning, because God made creation, quotes, very good, and it was all perfect, um, DNA, the genetic code that makes up all life, was perfectly structured. It had no errors, no mistakes in it. So people li did live longer. Um, but then gradually things degrade over time and so you get genetic mutations which make it less perfect, less able to reproduce and lifespans get shorter and things generally degrade. And this is one of their, their big issues really that to understand the fall they would argue that it had to be a sort of perfect situation beforehand and then there was a you know sin entered the world and this whole thing, the whole universe started to deteriorate and decline. Interestingly, the, the guy that was bringing the strong creationist teaching that I had a number of years ago was, was a professor of thermodynamics. And the second law of thermodynamics basically states in, sort of, in a sort of mathematical way that everything tends towards disorder. If you have any closed system that's kind of orderly, over time it will degrade and and it will tend towards a disorderly state and so to many engineers interestingly the guy that wrote this 
creationist book that I read when I was a young Christian was an engineer, you know, as I am. So a lot of engineers and thermodynamicists think, yeah, that makes sense, you know. You've got this um, degrading thing, whereas evolution seems to state the opposite, where things start off in, in a um, you know, simple and chaotic way and become more orderly and complex over time. And so they say, well, that, that goes against the idea. And, and also they point out that if, if genet genetic mutations are there uh, to create more complex beings, that's impossible because the only known genetic mutations that we know of today involve a loss of information. You know, our, our grandson has a, has a deletion, a micro deletion in one of his genes, um, which can give rise to all sorts of things. And that kind of, that's a mutation that's a new one. You know, it happened when he was conceived, I guess. You know, um, it wasn't in his parents. And what, what creationists point out is that there's no known genetic mutation that can add information. So to get from a single-celled organism to where we are today with many, many thousands of, of DNA, you know, millions of DNA pairs, you've got to add information and add and add and add. Mm. Whereas mutation deletes yeah. and reduces. So this is their sort of scientific background, if you like. Um, so that's, that's where they're coming from, broadly, in a nutshell. And there's a lot more that you could say, and I've got a couple of websites that you can go to to, to learn more about that. But on the other hand, many Christians would argue that evolution is basically a, a tool that God used to create the many species alive today. And, uh, you know, there, there are Christian biologists and geologists. Of those, only a small number are um, those who reject evolution. Most Christian biologists and geologists go with the, the evolutionary theory, at least for the you know, in the most part. So you have to ask the question, have those guys kind of been brainwashed? <laughs> you know? um, if you're a creationist, you will believe that they, all these Christian geologists and biologists who are experts in their field have been blinded by the weight of opinion in the world, or you know, they're more interested in their career paths than um, in, in, in uh, getting at the truth, you know, which is a bit of an insult to, to people like my friend Joel. Um, now, we know that the world is keen to grasp any theory that doesn't, uh, doesn't mean they have to be accountable to God. Um, so they will kind of push this as far as they possibly can. But is it, you know, is it possible that these Christian biologists and geologists have actually um, seen something looked at the evidence and found it possible to to believe in the Bible, but also some form of evolution. So the evidence, I think, is, is kind of mounting up, really. Um, the theory of evolution isn't as full of holes as perhaps it once was. Um, but there are genuine theological challenges if you want to combine the two things. And this is what really what I learned when, when my professor of thermodynamics was teaching us really strongly about this. Um, these are some of the issues that, that crop up, and this is where the stumbling blocks come. So I'm just going to go through a number of questions that you have to tackle 
if you're going to say, well, God used evolution as a tool. Yeah. Uh, firstly, and this is a biggie, according to the book of Genesis, death entered the world through sin. Um, you know, Adam and Eve took the fruit of the tree they shouldn't have taken, sin entered, and, and they'd been warned that they would die. However, for evolution to work, you've got to have millions of years of, of cycles of death and life and death and so physical death is already there and so for some they think well gosh that means God created the world with this kind of tide of you know for, for natural selection and all that to work there's so many creatures have died to kind of get to where we are so where does that fit in with with God you know there's all this suffering you know that's that's what people have to, to grapple with another question um, if evolution relies on random processes and I don't believe it you know, it's, if it was this, it wouldn't be just random because we do believe in God regardless. We're trying to combine them. But if re evolution was random, then life is essentially meaningless. So, you know, survival of the fittest, you know, this is what Darwin yeah. taught about. You could use that as an excuse to not look after the weak, you know, um, not care for the disabled. Uh, you could justify all kinds of things you know and it has been used to justify abortion euthanasia eugenics where you try and breed the perfect human or eliminate the imperfect ones you know racism and so on and you think well where does grace come in you know um, where does looking after the weak come in so it's a genuine thing that you've got to address um, in this now scientists actually are now saying that evolution is it's a bit more complex than just survival of fit individuals you know it's it, there is evidence of, of um, not exactly altruism but people but species actually looking after the species you know but but it's a genuine theological stumbling block for some where did Adam and Eve come from you know were they just sort of advanced apes you know and some some people find that you know perhaps offensive uh, were there other people around at the time? Uh, is that where Cain got his wife from? You know, all these things. Um, did Adam and Eve exist as real people? So many people look at the Bible and they look at the genealogies and they go, well, you can trace it all the way back, the real names, real people, real individuals, all the way back to Adam and Eve. Um, you know, if, if there wasn't a, a, an actual Adam and Eve, then people say, how can we believe in other biblical figures? You know, where do, where do we start thinking it's historic and where, you know, where does the dividing line come? You know, and then people who are strongly creationist kind of go the whole hog and say, well, if you don't believe in the first Adam, then how can you trust in the last Adam? You know, you, you know Christ and Adam together are, are used in the Bible as, as parallels and undermines it, you know. Another question they have, you know, if, if life evolved from chaos with a kind of upward trajectory because that's what evolution says what was the fall uh, mentioned it earlier you know don't things have to start from a perfect state we of course believe in in restoration and so you could argue if we believe in restoration of the creation what's God going to restore creation to if it evolved out of soup and got better you know and this this is what people you know, a genuine question. So, creationists are pretty adamant, you know, that, so they, um, 
they w they basically say that to refuse their uh, view, their understanding of the Bible, it undermines the whole gospel message. So I've got a, a short quote here from uh, somebody called Dr. Monty White from 2001. He just said, no Adam, no fall, no fall, no atonement, no atonement, no saviour. So in other words, if evolution is true, Adam wasn't real, the fall never happened, no need for atonement, whole belief in the gospel is undermined and comes crashing down. Um, so, with all that in mind, I am going to answer some of these questions. <laughs> um, is it necessary, so this is discussion time now, is it necessary to reject evolution of any kind in order to preserve biblical theology of sin, salvation, the value of life and so on. Uh, obviously not, not for now, but I've got a couple in the footnotes there. I've got a couple of websites. There's one famous one called AnswersInGenesis.org, um, which is a kind of, is a, is a creationist website. They've got a lot of arguments along the lines of some of the things I've been saying, uh, some scientific theories. But then on the other side, there's another one called GodAndScience.org, and they've got a creation section um, which uh, basically they're equally adamant in the other direction. So I <laughs> just thought I'd be even-handed on the links. So let's have um, a scone and, uh, and see what we think. Okay, let's get going again. I think some, some of the points that have uh, come across in the break have been very pertinent, uh, very valid. Uh, we're going to look at some of it, not necessarily all of the sort of scientific detail, but there are places you can go to to look at that. But of course, what we do in TLS is, as, as uh, I think Steve mentioned, is we we want to do good hermeneutics. We want to apply the Bible in the right way. So that means looking back at what the original readers and the original writers uh, were thinking, looking through their eyes. So why was Genesis one and or the rest of the, you know, the, the Genesis book. Why was it written? The first five books of the Bible, called the Pentateuch, um, which obviously includes Genesis, the, the traditional view is that they were written by Moses. But of course, if you read it, you re there are clues in it, some more obvious than others, but there are plenty of clues that at least parts of them were written a lot later. Um, you know, it says, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land, you know. So it was obviously, although it had been written in, from the vantage point of the very earliest days, some, the person writing it knew that later on they weren't, and then uh, you know. So basically, a lot of people, even including a chap called Jerome in the fifth century, so going back many many centuries, came to the conclusion that Genesis, along with the other books, were it may well have been Moses that contributed a lot to them, but they were actually compiled over quite a long period, and they reached the Old Testament as a whole actually reached its final form after the exile. So this is kind of yeah. thousands of years into, quotes, history. Yeah. Uh, the people of, of Israel had been thrust out into exile. It was a massive disaster. Their, their whole identity had been dealt a terrible blow. The temple had been destroyed. Jerusalem had been, you know, all the walls had been knocked down. They'd all been deported. And in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they'd come back yeah. um, and they needed to find themselves again. Yeah. They needed to find out who they were, they needed to reconnect with their history, 
and so obviously they had a lot of documents and they had a lot of oral history as well um, but so they would have had you know what what they would have seen as scriptures but then they they brought them together they edited them and they crafted it into the form it, it is now around that time for the you know the old testament and of course it's all under god's direction all under you know inspiration even editing was done under god's supervision um, without them realizing most likely so <clears throat> they needed to be reassured about their relationship with god after this big disaster now all ancient peoples tend to produce uh, accounts you know origin accounts the origin story you know it's a big deal in uh, in superhero uh, comics and films you know you have to have the origin story um, and there are others as well there, there are other ones that are not in the Bible but they're different um, peoples produced their origin um, accounts and there are some similarities with the biblical account but there are some significant differences as well and so Genesis, particularly that first chapter, um, or the creation stories in, in Genesis, they are Israel's version of that genre. And we have to understand it's a genre. Um, it's a style of writing to explain where a people came from. And what they were trying to explain to themselves and to, to anyone else was not the scientific how did God do this and when did God do this and what process did God use to do this what they were trying to explain was the what did God do and the why did he do it now we can come to the the Bible with our 21st century questions and try and answer them but the Bible's not actually trying to answer those questions no. you know they were not the questions that the text was written to answer so what was it written for? Well, first of all, a lot of these ancient accounts, they talk about how the universe arose out of chaos, out of the sort of primordial chaos. Um, and Genesis is the same. Now, we do believe that God created the universe out of nothing. Ex nihilo uh, is what is the term for it. So God definitely did create the universe out of nothing. But Genesis 1 isn't really about that. You know, apart from the first verse, you know, it says, in the beginning God created, you know. Okay, that is creation, that is out of nothing. But the rest of it is a record of how God brought order and a functioning cosmos out of chaos. Yeah. You know, it says the earth was formless and empty. And so God brings order and he brings life and he makes it work. It's possible that um, you can read that as the earth became formless and empty. And some people have proposed that the entrance of, you know, the rebellion in the heavens of Satan um, actually disturbed God's creation and um, made it formless and empty. But I don't know. It's difficult to, to prove the Bible doesn't really say, but it's possible. So, it's, But it's worth remembering that before Adam and Eve fell, the possibility of suffering and evil and death was already there because of this spiritual rebellion that had occurred. But the main point about Genesis 1 is not a scientific description of how God made the universe, but it's a theological statement of who God is yeah. and who we are. Uh, in actual fact, it, 
you, you can say that it's not just one among many stories because it does portray God as, as, as superior in, in lots of ways. One thing that we need to bear in mind as well about the days is that the word used for day can mean a long period of time as well. It can mean a day, it can mean an age. You know, when we talk of um, the, in the day of Margaret Thatcher, you know, it's sort of, it's a period of time, you know. Is it, um, I just don't know why that came to me then, but just... <laughs> um, and the evening and morning, the words there for evening and morning can just mean the closing and the starting. So, you know, we say the dawn of a new age. And we don't mean literal dawn, no. we mean the beginning of, and that can be, that's what it means. Now, it may be that when they were telling this story verbally and when, you know, gradually when they wrote it down, it may be that they meant 24 hour periods and days and what, but they simply weren't that interested in whether it was a day or whether it was a, an age, but certainly the words can mean, you know, an age or a long period of time. Uh, but they were interested in what the, the lessons that the creation account was telling them about who they were, who God was, what, and about the world. So it's about how God brought purpose and function to aspects of creation. So I think I've said this, I think I said this before briefly in a previous session, but you've got these three environments that God creates on the first three days and then you've got in the next three days you've got God filling and ordering those environments okay. mm -hmm. um, now I've had people say to me you know when I was at school I remember being in a Christian union and saying how hey, if you look at Genesis 1 you can see the you can see the the, the ages of the earth and, and they were trying to tie it up with evolution they got a bit stuck when it came to day four when the Sun moon and stars appeared <laughs> And people say, well, you know, they weren't visible, you know, the clouds were covering it or whatever. <laughs> okay, you know, fair enough. But, but if you understand it this way, you realise that it's not about um, order of, you know, exact order in which things happened. It's more a description, a theological description of what God did. So day one, God creates light and separates it from darkness. So what you could say is that God establishes time alternating periods of light and darkness you know it's sort of God creates time for us to live in um, but three days later I, I still wonder whether there's a significance in the three days you know yeah. God bringing stuff to fullness after three days you know I, I haven't heard anybody read that uh, into it but three days later on day four God fills that environment you know he provides Sun moon and stars to govern the seasons and to mark the days you know day two God establishes the sea and the sky and these are kind of environments that are beyond human habitation you know we don't live in the sky we don't live in the sea but what they make possible is weather and rain and rain for these people was so important because they didn't live in a land that had a major river like the Nile or the Euphrates they relied on streams that came down from the mountains when it rained to irrigate the land and so rain was a sort of symbol of God's blessing and it's what what they needed for life but three days later on day five God fills those environments with fish and birds 
Um, on day three, God creates dry land, which is, of course, where food can be grown, where human beings actually live. And three days later, on day six, that environment is filled with living creatures. So the order of the days is very, very carefully chosen. It's not. Then there was the um, the Jurassic Age, and then there was you know an Ice Age, and it's like it's not meant to be read from a scientific point of view. It was a story that you know I think um, you, know, you can imagine people telling it around the campfires. You know, it's a story that they passed on and passed on. It was the truth. It contained the truth of, of what God was saying. Um, and people enjoyed hearing it, but it was what it was telling them because what it's telling them is that. God provides everything for his creation. Um, it's God making the cosmos into this complete functioning system that is there for the benefit of the pinnacle of his creation, which is humanity. Uh, so it's what, it wasn't what God did, or rather it wasn't how he did it and, what, and uh, when, but it was the fact that he put all this in place and what that said about God and what it said about ourselves not all the ins and outs of the science so another interesting point about the, the, the Bible is people often tr have tried to add up the ages of all the people and go back in this genealogies yeah. but if you look at genealogies sometimes the same genealogy appears in different points of the Bible it's got different names in it you know or it's some are missed out mm. uh, and basically it was quite common practice to telescope them in or out depending on how much detail you wanted to go into so they, you know, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. Actually means he was the ancestor of so-and-so. It doesn't necessarily mean direct father. Um, and so, you, you know, the, you can telescope these genealogies in or out as far as you want, really. And that was just the way it was done. Um, so it's about who God is what he's done for humanity, what he's done for his creation, and how he brought order out of chaos. That's what they were trying to get across. The other really, really important piece of understanding um, is something that people have called the cosmic temple <laughs> approach. And this is, what is the significance of day seven? Now we think, you know, day seven, uh, God had done a lot of work on days one to six, and he just fancied a break, put his feet up, you know. That's not actually what it is. When he rests from his work, there's a very important, significant point here where, see, lots of ancient peoples, including Israel, they had these stone temples and they saw their temples as symbols of creation, symbols of the cosmos. And so, to the original readers, the idea of this day seven, that God creates this, this functioning universe, it's like he's created a temple. And then on day seven, he comes to rest and he comes to reside yeah. in his temple. And isn't that amazing? Yeah. Because it, it just shows right at the very beginning of the Bible that God wants to dwell with people. Yeah. That God's intention is to create a temple and then live in it. And, and of course, who, are the, who is the pinnacle of God's creation? You know, it's what what Francois was saying yesterday, yeah. you know, just you look yeah. in the mirror and God stares back out at you cool. because God yes. is in you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. This, this idea of, of the, um, the creation being captured in the temple mm. is actually quite a significant thing. And 
the, um, the bit that um, really struck me was, if you look at day two, day two was um, the point at which um, things were separated. So the, um, there was the firmament came and it separated things. Um, and that's often been thought to be represented by the, the veil of the temple. Right. Because, and it had angels embroidered on it as a, mm. a sign of it being the, the bridge between eternity and, if you like, the, the, the physical realm. Um, day two mm. was the only day in the Genesis story that wasn't good. Mm. Interesting. It, mm. interesting. it doesn't say it was good. Right. Oh, I see. That's, he doesn't say that was good. Yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah, that's an interesting good. one. Yeah. Day two, it just said it happened. Day three, four, mm. five, six were good. Mm. Oh, day six mm. was very good. Interesting. Have I'll, have to go, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to ponder that. I mean, arguably, on day one, he separates light from darkness, yeah. and day two, he separates uh, sea from sky, and then day three, he separates the waters to make the land. So there's an element of separation on all those days, but, but it's, it's to do with bringing order. Yeah. Yeah, but, but the, no, that's interesting. This, yeah. that, this idea of the temple mm. is, is yeah. it's a very um, Judaic idea, Hebraic idea, that the temple was a earthly manifestation of the creation. Yes. What Moses yeah. saw the hit on the mountaintop was the creation and it was make it this way replicated on earth and then mm. the veil represented day two which was the separation. Oh interesting. Yeah I've not I've not read that one. Way it doesn't say it was good. Mm, okay. Worth thinking about. Um, but I love this thing of, of God coming to dwell with us. Mm. So right at the very beginning his purpose in creation is to live in what he's made. Absolutely. Isn't that Beautiful. And also, um, I love the idea of the, of the sets of three because it's yeah. quite, again, in Hebrew poetry, they often Absolutely. have couplets and sets mm. of two, mm. and so it reinforces the idea of it being a poetic mm. genre. Mm. Um, and I love the fact that also it's Trinitarian yeah. like Father, Son, Holy Spirit mm. was, was all involved. Yeah, 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 and you can trace their involvement through in, in the rest of the scriptures as well. But so it should bring us huge encouragement about the nature of God as a benevolent creator not a threatening creator you know right at the beginning there um, another thing about ancient temples they almost always had icons images you know icon is a Greek word you know it means the image of the gods so the god used to have you know they make a little image and put the image in the temple and it represented the god that was supposed to live there but in God's cosmic temple he creates, who does he create? He creates us. We are his icons. So he puts us into the temple that he's made as his representative, as his image and likeness. And it brings a whole new perspective to the significance of human beings. There's a Hebraic idea that that's what Satan didn't like. Yes. Right, the image, well, he wanted to that's be the image, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. 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 And that is why the people of Israel were banned from making any yes. graven image, any other image made to look like anything, any lifeless form, because the only valid image of God is a living, breathing human being. Uh, anyone you know and this is not just yeah. Jesus no. this is us this is everybody the yes. valid image of God which again is amazing yes. um, just another little interesting thing about the temple terminology because you've got this Garden of Eden you know which is like a microcosm of what God wants for the whole of creation so 
Eden is almost like a temple within a temple, I suppose. You know, I, I, I need to look into that a bit more, to be honest. But, but they get kicked out because of their, they've broken the relationship somehow. And cherubim are put outside. Now, cherubim, or that's the plural of cherub, Cherub is not a little friendly baby thing with a fat face and ruddy cheeks and that. <laughs> Cherubim was like, often it was like half bull, half human, a pretty scary thing. But they were guardians to stop you going back. So in, in the Garden of Eden, you had this cherubim with a flame, or cherub, multiple cherubs with flaming sword that stopped you getting to the tree of life. And, and a lot of ancient temples had cherubim sort of in the run-up or near them to sort of protect, you know, to stop undesirables from going near the God, effectively. So um, that's why they didn't even explain in Genesis what cherubim were, because everybody knew, because it was temple language. So that was just a by-the-by, really. Um, but Eden was God's pattern for creation, um, and we haven't yet done it, but we're going to. <laughs> Um, so, how did, how did God um, create these icons? Well, he breathed his life, his essence, if you like, into Adam and Eve, which is what sets us apart from any of the animals. You know, and that's why some creationists have a problem with us evolving from other creatures, because well, we're not like them, we're different. However, you know, what if, and, and, I, and here I start to say you know, what I think, where I've come to on my journey. Um, I th what if God deliberately and carefully created, in the same way that he unrolls the heavens like a scroll or he blows up the cosmos like a balloon, gradually, rather than just making it instantly come into being, what if he did the same with life and it started simple and he gradually evolved it for his own pleasure and for his own, you know, just enjoying what he was doing he evolves creatures um, maybe that's why a lot of the missing links aren't there like you you were saying live how you haven't got fish with stubs or you know it's all these you've got lots of if, if it's like a tree starting from single-celled organisms and it branches off and branches off and branches off and then you've got the little twigs that represent all the species that we've got now uh, we've got a lot of the twigs we've got the odd bit of trunk but we haven't got many of the interconnecting branches but maybe it was always God's ideal to get to where we are and somehow all these other things died out you know maybe God guided the evolutionary process somehow uh, so it wasn't random you know it wasn't completely random because God set up the circumstances where it happened so what if at the end of that process where there are these evolved creatures which are humanoid, they're advanced animals, but what if then God chooses maybe two of them and breathes his divine essence, his image into them and sets them apart and it raises them to like a new state of consciousness. They're suddenly conscious of God. They've suddenly got God's creativity. They've suddenly, I mean, okay, they'd probably made tools and things up to that point, maybe. But suddenly their, their minds and their, their spirits are open to all the possibilities of who they are and who God is. Um, in my view, I, I see no reason why there wasn't an actual Adam and Eve, you know, an actual 
pair of individuals to whom this happened. Now, <clears throat> on the other side, this, the scripture does use Adam as a cipher, and what that means is that like a like a symbol to represent the whole of humanity. And so, some evolutionary thinking Christians say, well, you know, it doesn't matter if Adam didn't exist because you know the scripture is quite capable of, of you know uses him as, as a cipher. I look at on balance, I look at it and I think, well, I think he was probably real as well. Um, the scripture does use him as a cipher to represent humanity, but that doesn't mean he didn't literally exist. So you've got this new creature that now bears the image of God. You know, God has moved in to his creation in Adam and Eve. Because when you breathe, you know, it's, it's life. It's, you know, you, God's breathing his oxygen, his uh, divine life into them. And they have a choice now. Um, they have free will. And they, you know, what we, we studied last time, do they stay in union with God? Or do they believe the lie of Satan? And I, I've, I've put it in a footnote, but really it's an important point that, you know, Satan said, oh, you need to do something else to be like God. You know, you'll be like God if mm. you take this fruit, if you do that. And it was a total lie and deception because they couldn't be any more like God. They were his image. They were his likeness. They were already there. They were the icons. They were the ones that God had formed and put into his temple. And he'd just done that by breathing into them. And yet Satan says, well, you'll, you'll be like God if you do that. And there's a lot of people today who think they'll be more like God if they do this, that and the other. Not realising that they're already in the image and likeness of God. So they chose the latter, they chose to believe the lie, and they fell from their intended position and purpose. <coughs> so what you've got is not the introduction of physical death, yeah. but spiritual death, separation. You know, this. Uh, I mean, thankfully it all gets undone. But you know, but at this point they're kind of they're hiding from God. Um, Francois said yesterday, God wasn't hiding from them. No. You know, <laughs> they were hiding from God. Now that doesn't mean, this introduction of death doesn't mean that humans were created immortal or that physical death wasn't already a reality. Now there's a couple of interesting things. Um, some of the names that Adam gives to the creatures indicate what they do and some of it is predatory action. Um, I can't, I haven't got them written down all on the top of my head, but there's some where it's like they're, they're describing what predators do to their prey. And some of these are in the names that Adam gives. So Adam, of course, is giving names that reflect their nature. Mm. So, okay, you could say, well, all right, they're just using the later names and these aren't the original names, but, you know, it, it's an indicator that Adam knew about predation, you know, yeah. this idea that predators exist. On day six, <clears throat> God creates the wild animals and the livestock and those words could be equally said carnivores and herbivores yeah. on day six at the beginning so so death comes in but it's not necessarily you don't have to take it as there was no physical death beforehand and there are hints where that you know that is backed up by scripture so the fall is more a fall from the true mandate of humanity to be god's image in the earth uh, to image God properly. You know, it's a failure to rise above the animals that they once were. 
You know, they've kind of taken a step back. The image of God hasn't disappeared, but it's become clouded. Um, they've got to get above their physical origin. So that it's a failure to take res responsibility for the earth. You know, they had responsibility, but they fell from that position. Um, and of course, that did have catastrophic consequences. You know, they're not taking care of the world. You can see that in climate change, in, in, in pollution. Um, and spiritually, because there is a sort of backstory, a spiritual backstory to all this, where humanity, in bowing the knee to Satan in this way, they've given their authority to Satan. Yeah, yeah. Now, thankfully, all of this is, I haven't got time to tell the whole story, otherwise I'd be going for a long, long time. But it all gets reversed at the cross, you know, and it's foreshadowed in Genesis 3. You know, this serpent's head gets crushed under the heel. But in doing so, the heel is bruised as well. You know, it's sort of um, an amazing picture of what God will do in the rest of Scripture, right at the very beginning there. So, just to, you know, to conclude, really, um, I don't believe there's any real need to insist that, it, that evolution, in some form, leaves no room for the fall or the reality of sin or the need for a saviour. And I think if we want to, and I, I don't have a huge bone to pick with anyone if, if people want if people say no, I'm not convinced about evolution I'm you know I'm sticking with my more creationist tendencies I'm not going to pick a fight no. Um, no. but we're free to look at the evidence without feeling threatened mm -hmm. and this is the whole point of it really that we can look at the evidence you know it'd be good if we could talk to Christian biologists and geologists you know talk to Joel see where what well, he must have gone on a journey yeah, about this talk to him find out what he thinks but at the same time we've got to be sensitive to those for whom it's a real shaker you know it's a tower wobbler for them you've got to be sympathetic to them yeah it is it is a bit like that yeah it's like we if you've got more freedom because you've come into a different understanding you've got to take care of your your weaker brother almost and it is like that in in, in uh, Paul's letters um, eating meat and so on but they do have genuine theological concerns you know as we said in the first half and and that's what we need to, to bear in mind and we might be able to answer some of those now um, but the important thing is that our faith doesn't rest on a certain theological premise being true or certain statements adding up to a kind of coherent worldview it's a relationship you know, and it's the evidence all around of God's activity in the world. It's the, uh, the very existence of the world is, um, is evidence enough, really. So I've just got uh, one quote to finish with. This is a quote from um, godandscience.org. Uh, it's about old earth creation, this bit. Um, and this is really addressing the point that you raised earlier, Maria, about people not wanting to come to faith because they think they'll have to lose their brains you know um, it says a, a primary complaint of atheists so this is you know people that don't believe in God the primary complaint is that people is that the Bible quotes says that the earth and the universe is only 6,000 years old in reality the Bible gives no date for the creation of the universe but implies that the creation days were long periods of time and that modern human beings have been receiving God's law for over 40,000 years. Now, I think that's where it says 
you show your love to a thousand generations. Yeah, it's a thousand, you, um, I think that's where they get that from. And a generation in the Bible is 40 years. You know, there are hints that, that, that God's been around a long time with people. Anyway, it continues. Although young earth creationism is the primary creation theology in the US, it suffers from numerous scriptural and scientific problems. In contrast, old earth theology presents a consistent interpretation of all the Bible's creation passages, including Genesis 1. So if, if you're at all kind of sceptical, you think, well, how do they arrive at those um, conclusions? Then check out the two websites in the footnotes. You know, there's Answers in Genesis, which is on one side, and then there's GodAndScience.org, um, and they've got an apologetics section, and then in that there's all the stuff on creation. And they, they've, they've really got a big beef with... AIG, as they call it, Answers in Genesis, the God and Science people. This is sort of they're firing salvos at each other, um, and and coming up with answers to the you know all the issues that are on both sides. So it's a big big issue. Whilst they're firing their salvos, the, the general public, people that you know who are seeking God, mm. can get um, yeah. confused or just turned off by the whole thing. Mm. And and what we're wanting to to, to do is not pacify the people on the other extremity. Yeah. We, we want to reach the people who actually this don't is know, yeah. think I don't want to be a Christian. Yeah, yeah. People have lost yeah. their brains and yeah. you know we want to reach out. Yeah. People. Well if we can encourage people that you don't have to wave your brains goodbye. Um, you don't have to suddenly be in uh, you know a tiny minority in terms of science. Yeah. But you can neither side in extreme is yeah. right. That's right. It's somewhere in between, maybe more one way than the other, but maybe not. You know, it's, so the important thing is that, the, that Genesis, if we can get across the idea that it's not science, it's not trying to present science, it's trying to present who God is and the wonder of who we are in God's cosmic temple, that we're his icons and that God created it and ordered it and func- made it function so that he could live in us as his creation and then everything else we can work out the details Mm.